millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When did the tech sector get so blokey? Back in the industry's early days, about 80% of all computer programmers were women. But then things started to change. Fast forward to today and less than 20% of those employed in the tech industry are female. People are protesting about sexism and toxic work cultures and there's a widely acknowledged lack of opportunities for women. So why has all this happened? What are some of the consequences of having so few women in the sector and what's being done to change things? Marianne Seekert tries to answer these questions in a BBC doco called A Job for the Boys. One recent American study asked girls what was putting them off studying computer science. And by far the biggest deterrent was not the maths or the science involved, but the sexism that they thought they would encounter in that world. By age six, girls are saying that they're less interested in programming than boys. And by age six, they already seem to have stereotypes that computer science is more of a boy's thing than a girl's thing. Sapna Cherian, Associate Professor of Psychology at Washington University, wants to see if we can increase girls' enthusiasm and change the stereotypes of computing from a very early age. The work that we've done in my lab has looked at giving kids exposure to programming with a programming game, like a little, basically, app that allows you to control a little robot. And when we give that programming game to girls after playing it for 20 minutes, they're um, significantly more motivated to learn programming and move forward in computer science. And she's tried experimenting with classroom design to see if this makes a difference to potential computer science students. The room was set up in one of two ways. So for half of the participants, when they walked into the room, it looked like a stereotypical computer science environment. And it had a Star Trek poster. It had a soda can pyramid, like comics, stray electronic parts, video games. And we had them sit at the table and they would fill out a questionnaire about their interest in um, pursuing computer science. For the other half of the participants, it was the same room, except we had redecorated it. So we had like art posters and nature posters. There was more like general interest books instead of video games. We had plants and water bottles, things like that. And um, what we ended up finding was that for men, they were equally interested in computer science, regardless of what the room setup was. But for women, they expressed a significantly greater interest when they were in the room that did not fit the stereotype of computer science. And what ended up happening is that the gender gap that was there in the stereotypical condition actually completely disappeared in the non-stereotypical condition so that women and men were equally interested in pursuing computer science. Carnegie Mellon is one of those universities that, as of last year, had a 50-50 class of young men and young women in computer science. Some universities, such as Harvey Mudd and Carnegie Mellon, have found that small changes can make a real difference. Justine Cassell again. We've introduced a lot more of what's called peer programming, and that is where students work in groups. 
we've both told them that they're not going to get a grade simply on their individual performance, that they can get grades working as a pair or as a group. But we've also built snug little spaces throughout the building that are open 24 hours a day. And that means that they're really encouraged to work in groups. And I know it works because I'm quite a night person. And from my office late at night, I hear peals of laughter from both boys and girls in front of my office door. But even if we can find ways to get more young women to want to study computer science, what will they find when they hit the world of work? Well, I'm at a tech conference in Silicon Valley. I'm surrounded by a plethora of experts, including Meredith Broussard, a data journalism professor at New York University, and she left her job as a computer scientist because of what she calls techno-chauvinism. Being challenged or being underestimated or being not believed is really frustrating. I actually still get that a lot. I still get the people challenging me. I still get people underestimating me. I get people assuming that I don't know what I'm talking about technologically because I'm a woman. Were the young men being taken seriously? They... I think get taken more seriously as technologists because there's this cult of genius and this mythology of youth inside tech. So we're half a century on from Steve Shirley and not a whole lot has changed. Except the protests against sexism are now more public. I decided to coordinate this stuff and Meredith Whitaker, co-founder of the AI Now Institute and research scientist at Google was one of the organisers of that protest last year. The Google walkout was a massive demonstration in which myself and 20,000 of my colleagues around the globe walked out of Google in protest of a workplace culture that was discriminatory, racist and inequitable. And in what sense is it a sexist atmosphere to work in? You can look at the data and you can get a sense of the systemic discrimination and misogyny that pervades the industry at large. Each one of us certainly has our stories of the kind of discomfort, discrimination, outright abuse and harassment that prevent women and people of color and minorities from entering these spaces. But even when we do get in, I think we need to emphasize that many of us leave. If you look at Google's 2018 diversity report, the attrition rates were highest for Black and Latinx women. It's pretty clear that this isn't an industry or a field that is welcoming to women and marginalized groups. The people in the room matter, and right now the people in the room are, in the Western context, majority white, majority men, majority technically educated, majority rich. So what's the impact of having so few women around the tech table? Justine again. I guess I'm still surprised that there are research groups and companies building game characters and virtual assistant characters with bodies that have tits hanging out of their blouses, or that games would make weak female characters and strong male characters, or that the Robot Hall of Fame would only have a vacuum as an example of a female robot and a robot that brings down buildings to find lost children <laughs> as an example of a male robot. 
There's lots of examples in our past and in our present about things that are designed by all-male teams, for example, that end up being less than ideal. Sapna Cherian. The example I like to give is the example of airbags. They ended up killing and injuring some women and children because they were designed for kind of a larger body type, a male body type. The team had all men and People have argued that if they had had at least one woman on the team, that maybe they would have remembered that they need to be designing for like a broader population, not just for men. Young men today in Silicon Valley have told me that their bosses tell them, design for you. Design what you'd want to use. That's the way to do it. I know that there have been a number of studies that showed voice recognition systems heard men better than women. A couple of years ago, Apple's Siri product wouldn't respond to questions about women's health clinics. These virtual assistants, the voices that pop up on our phones or laptops to help us out, like Siri, Alexa and Cortana, are becoming an ever bigger part of our lives. And I can't help noticing that the ones we're allowed to boss around, you know, Alexa, turn on the lights, or Siri, call my mum, tend to be female while the ones that advise us about serious subjects such as law or finance tend to be male. It's true that the companies that build virtual assistants are playing with gender. Now, voice is one way that we gender characters, virtual characters. Another way is the way they talk. I inadvertently press the Siri button quite frequently, And since I'm in a hurry and the presence of Siri is getting in the way of what I'm trying to do, I say, go away, Siri. Until fairly recently, when I say, go away, Siri, Siri would say, oh, can't we just be friends? And that's another way of gendering, is to rely on stereotypical, sexy, or cute talk. Hey, Siri, why do you vibrate? Just me, doing a little jig inside here. Now, when companies have been asked why they use a female voice, they say it's because customers preferred a female voice for a virtual assistant and a male voice for something authoritative like a GPS. There's an interesting dilemma here. Do we design for the way people have been, or do we use our responsibility as the producers of technology to try and change the way people are? And so in all of the work that my students and I do, we build gender-ambiguous characters. Professor Justine Cassell of Carnegie Mellon University speaking on A Job for the Boys, presented by Marianne Seagat and produced by Sarah Bowen for BBC Radio 4. You're listening to the Podcast Hour on RNZ National. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.